Lord, I'm really glad you came. I hope you feel the same when you see all my fear and how I have failed. I fall sometimes. It's hard to walk in sinking sand. I miss the rock and find I've nowhere left to stand. I start to cry. Lord, please help me. Raise my hand so that you can lift me up. Hold me close. Hold me tighter. I have found a place where I can hide. It's safe inside your arms of love. Like a child who's held throughout a storm, you keep me warm in your arms of love. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much that you promise to be always with us, that we'll never be small and we'll never be without you. Lord, sometimes we feel <coughs> that we are weak, that you are distant. Please encourage us and please remind us that you are present and you are strong. And in you, we are strong too. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been in the conversation, a conversation now for about a month and a bit. Cast your minds back about six weeks or so, and we saw that the last supper was kicking off, that Jesus went into the upper room with his disciples and he washed his disciples' feet. And then they had the last supper, and then Judas Iscariot actually left the supper to go and betray Jesus. Now after that, Jesus says to his disciples, I too am going to leave you. And soon enough, within a few hours, Jesus would be arrested, and a few hours after that, Jesus would be dead. But he tells his disciples he's going to leave them, and that sparks off three questions that we've seen. The first question is Peter, and Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And Peter says, where I am going, you cannot follow. I'm going to my father's house. In my father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going to make a room, an abode ready for you, and then you can follow me. Thomas then says, well, Lord, how can we possibly go to your father's house? We don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through me. In fact, I and the Father are one. And last week we saw Philip ask a question, well, just show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus says, well, don't you know me? If you knew me, you would know that I and the Father are one. You've seen the Father in me. Now, if you know me, believe me. And if you believe me, go and do my works. In fact, do even greater works than myself. And as you go and do these works, ask for anything in my name that will glorify God, and I will give it to you, anything. Now, I don't know if you have thought last week, if you were one of the disciples, what would you have asked in Jesus' name, knowing that he would give it to you? Right? Jesus is about to leave, and these guys are about to be abandoned, in one sense, by their leader. These guys have given up everything to follow him the last three years. They would have been scared. They would have been wondering what to do next. They would have been confused. What would they have asked for in Jesus' name, knowing they would get it? Well, some of us are sort of more organizationally minded, and we would have thought, well, what we need is more people. 
Right now, there's 11 disciples, a bunch of friends, or maybe even the 72 disciples that Jesus sent out earlier. But whatever it is, this Jesus organization is kind of small, so maybe we should ask Jesus for more people. That would be good. Or maybe for more resources, more money, more food, more whatever. That would be good too. Or maybe more skill sets within the followers of Jesus. That would sort of help the Jesus movement grow. Others might be thinking more personally. Um, what we really need from Jesus is... Um, courage, because without him, it's going to be pretty scary. Or maybe some joy, because if he's going to leave us, we'll be quite sad. Or maybe some wisdom to know how to live lives without our leader there. All of those things are good. What would be the best thing for the disciples to ask Jesus for, knowing that he would give it? What's the best thing God can give his people? Now, I remember 30 years ago in Year 12 Sunday School, my Sunday School teacher drilled this into our class. What's the very best thing that God can give you? The very best thing God can give you is God, is himself. And that's exactly what Jesus promises. I'm going to go away, but I'm going to give you the very best thing I can, God. Not God the Father and not God the Son, I have to go away, but equally God, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promises that he will be with them in the Holy Spirit. They won't be abandoned. And we see this conversation take place in three parts. The first part is Jesus tells them, I'm still going to be with you in one sense. And then he says, God is going to dwell in you. And then he finishes off by telling them what the Holy Spirit would do in them. So let's look at these in part. First one, Jesus will still be with us. You'll find that in verses 15 through to 21. Um, we won't have time to read over again, so just keep one eye on your Bibles and one eye on me. Here Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you abandoned. I'm going to give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you, and in that sense, you'll have God with you, all the same, even though it won't be me. And this, will make, this makes perfect sense, because if you're a disciple, you're very worried now. You're going to lose Jesus, and you're scared that whatever replaces him is going to be subpar. And he says, no, don't worry. It won't be subpar. It'll be God, God the Holy Spirit. The disciples were been feeling weak. They were been feeling alone. And Jesus says, you're not weak. You're not alone. God will be with you. And with God in you, you can do those great works, even greater than myself, and ask for anything in my name, and I'll give it to you. That was true of the disciples. <clears throat> and it's also true of us today as well, isn't it? Oftentimes, on a Sunday at church, we feel strong. We're amongst our Christian brothers and sisters here. We sing songs about God. We hear talks about God. We talk to each other about God afterwards in, in, afternoon, uh, in um, a supper. We feel strong. But tomorrow morning is a different story, isn't it? When we do the, well, school pickups aren't this holidays now, but when we go into our clubs or we go back to work, we're one of a few Christians in our crowd. And we can feel that we're in minority, that somehow God is distant, Somehow that we're weak. And God says to us tonight, as he said to the disciples 2,000 years ago, you're not weak because you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is in you. God is in you. And because God is in you and you have his power, that's everything you need to go and share the love of God and the truth of God to those around you. Christians are weak and sinful when we're alone but we are never alone. The Holy Spirit is always with us. And because of that, we are strong. 
But some of us in this room are thinking, well, that's great. We should go and conquer the world for Jesus, and, and now it's been very encouraging. It's good for some people to hear that. But, you know, you don't really know me, Tom. When I walk away from church on a Sunday, I don't even think about God until I come back to church. Uh, I, sometimes I might read the Bible if I go to a small group, or sometimes I might pray if I meet with somebody. But other than that, God's not really a factor in my life. In fact, I'm, I'm just um, ashamed to even pray because I haven't done it for so long. Uh, and, and I'm so glad we have a confession at the beginning of every service because when I come here, that's the first time I've thought about God for six and a half days. And it's good for me to apologize to God, but I'm just I'm so far away from God and just, it's embarrassing. And if that's you, then the message here tonight is you're not far away from God. If you're a Christian, God is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. You just need to remember that and reach out to him. And when you do, he'll remind you that he's present in your life. You might even want to start that process right tonight when you go home, or even right now during the sermon. Just say to God, God, I'm really sorry that I just lived my life without you for most of the week. Raise my hand so you can lift me up. Hold me close. Hold me tighter and tighter and tighter. Let me grow to be the person you want me to be knowing that when you ask for that, he's present and he'll grow you and receive you. Very reassuring. Well, the conversation moves on, and the conversation moves on to verses 22 to 24, and here Jesus says, you know what? God is going to be in your house. Right? If you cast your minds back a few weeks into the chapter, beginning of chapter 4, it says that Jesus has gone to God's house and he'll make an abode, a room in God's house for us to go to. That's true. But here, it's the reverse. God is going to make an abode, a room in us, and God will dwell in us. You know, heaven is going to be fantastic, but we don't have to wait to heaven to get God. He's going to be in us. But there is a caveat. And the caveat is, he will only do that for those people who love Jesus and who obey Jesus. If you don't love Jesus and you don't obey Jesus, God will not make his dwelling inside you. Now, if you're sort of new at this church thing and you're visiting us, thank you for spending Sunday uh, evening with us. Um, you're so, so welcome at church. It's fantastic that you're here. But I suspect when you read lines like that, you're thinking, yeah, that's what I think religion is. If you do something good, love Jesus, obey his commands, then God will do something good for you. He'll bless you somehow. That's just how the equation of religions go. And it kind of does sound like that, if we just read these two lines. But of course we have to read more widely in the Bible. And if we just read the next chapter, in chapter 15, which will be in two weeks' time, we're going to see that Jesus says to his disciples, I called you out of the world. I actually love you and I called you out. It's not that you have to do stuff for me to love you and bless you, but in fact I made the first step. I called you out of the world. And for these 11 men in the room, that was quite literally the case. See, Jesus walked past the fishing boat once and said, hey, you guys, come join me. And they left their fishing boats and joined him. He walked past the tax booth on another occasion and said, hey, you, come join me. And the guy joined him. God makes the first move. God calls people to himself. And so if you're visiting with us tonight, that's what you've got to hear, that God is the one who's called you here tonight to hear more about him. In a sort of supernatural, even spooky way, you're in this room tonight because God wants you here. And so do the Christians. So welcome and learn more about God while you're here. But if you are a regular, if you're a Christian, then this reminds us, doesn't it? God makes his abode in those 
who love Jesus and who follow his commands. Jesus leaves us no room to say, I'll love you, Jesus, but in my own way. I'll love you, Jesus, but only on Sundays. The rest of the week, I'll spend my time, my energy, my money the way I want. I'll treat people the way I want, the way that the world teaches me to treat people. I'll be generous or not generous in the way that I want. Jesus doesn't leave us that option. He says, if you love me, you must obey me. Now, this is not a foreign concept to us because all of us, when we, when we love people, we tend to do what they want. We tend to want them to be happy, want to, for, for their welfare. It's like that. I remember a long time ago, um, I used to fly a lot to, for work. And so I flew from one place after another. You go to a hotel room, you wake up in the morning. The first thing you do, the first thing I did, was turn on the news and just watch. Because I've been asleep now for six hours. I need to know what's happening in the world while I was asleep. So that's what I did. And this worked pretty well uh, until I got married. On the first day of my honeymoon, the day after I got married, we're in a hotel room. I woke up. And of course, what's been happening in the world? I need to know what's been happening in the world. I'd been tuned off for about 24 hours by then. So I turned on CNN. But the only problem was my wife woke up, my new wife woke up, and not so much. See, she didn't really care about what's happening in the world. She cared about other things, like, you know, our marriage. And so, <laughs> so she was like, well, I prefer to relate to you. I prefer to talk to you in the quiet in the morning. So from that day onwards, I have not watched, I have not gone out of bed and turned on CNN. I've got out of bed, I've related to my wife. And see, if we love someone, we'll do stuff which will ex we'll express our love by doing the kind of things that they like. Now, if that's just for another human being, how much more for Jesus? But not only that, loving Jesus, obeying Jesus, is not just an expression of our love for him, but because Jesus is God, because he knows us, he made us, he knows how our bodies work, our minds work, our emotions work, he knows how society works, when we actually obey him, it's actually good for us. See, Jesus doesn't just give us commands for the sake of giving us commands. You know, drop on the deck and give me 50 push-ups. You know, Jesus is not that kind of God. He gives us commands which actually help us. Loving people is a good thing for us and for others. Forgiving people is a good thing. Being generous towards people. Committing your life to something greater than yourself. These are great things for us and for society. And so it is actually when Jesus gives us commands... It's actually him expressing his love for us, giving us his wisdom to live by. And when we obey those commands, we are actually experiencing the love of Christ. So if we claim to love Jesus, we will obey his commands. And when we obey his commands, we'll find that it's an expression of our love to him and also an experience of his love for us. So it is actually great to love Jesus and to obey him. But of course, if we don't do that, it's a tragedy. Because earlier on in Jesus' ministry, in the book of Matthew, we read these words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. 
away from me, evildoers. Lord, I went to church most weeks of the year. I served supper. I was on music team. I preached sermons. No relationship. Didn't love Jesus. Didn't do what he commanded. And the chilling words on the final day will be, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoer. Now these are pretty stark words and it makes some of us feel very uncomfortable in our seats. But it's good that we hear them tonight because it's good that we get to deal with this now instead of on judgment day in front of Jesus. So if that's you, let me encourage you once again. Go home tonight, even right now in your seats. Start the process off by just praying to God. Raise my hand. You do that because I obviously can't. Raise my hand so that you can lift me up. Hold me close. Hold me tighter. And as you ask that, he will. Well, the conversation moves on to verses 25 through 31, where Jesus explains that while the Holy Spirit is going to be in them, he's going to play a certain role in them. And the role is going to be the one of another advocate. It's another advocate, because, because who's the first advocate? It's Jesus, right? So, but he's going away, and so now he's going to send somebody else to replace him, the Holy Spirit, another advocate. Now, if you've been at church for a while, you might be used to reading verses like this, and uh, in some older versions of the Bible, we see uh, that Jesus will send another comforter. But that comforter word's a bit out of date, I guess, uh, because what exactly is a comforter? Well, about 20-odd years ago, I used to live in Boston, and one winter, some guy said to me, look, Tom, it's getting pretty cold. Have you bought yourself a comforter? And I said, a comforter? What's a comforter? He goes, oh, a duvet. I said, a duvet? What's that? He goes, you know, big blanket, fluffy blanket you put on you to keep warm at night? He goes, oh, I see, you mean a doona? I said, oh, he goes, what, what's that? What's a doona? He goes, okay, well, okay, no, I haven't bought one, but I will. So is that what the Holy Spirit is, a comforter, a duvet, you know, a, a doona to keep us warm? Well, not really. But then on another occasion at church, we saw a baby crying, and the mother went off, and the father said to me, you know what, the mother's just gone to get the baby's comforter. I thought, what? You're going to give a baby a blanket? And he said, no, 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 not, not a blanket, a, um, a pacifier. I was saying, a pacifier? What do you do to your baby? You're like, you pacify the baby. Like, what do you do to your baby? Because no, you know, the thing that you stick in their mouth so that they don't cry. I said, oh, oh, oh. He goes, what do you guys call it? I said, oh, a dummy. <laughs> As a dummy, that's dumb. That's it. So it's the Holy Spirit that is. It's something that you stick into to people just so they don't cry. You know, they get, get through life without crying. Well, it's neither of those. Um, another time, uh, other times in history, we've seen this word uh, said, uh, mentioned as counselor. Jesus will send another counselor. Now, of course, when we hear the word counselor, we sort of think of two things. One thing is we think of a psychologist or a psychiatrist, right? So, you know, it's, there's a kind of person you walk into their office and you sit on a couch or you lie down on a couch and you tell them your problems and they say, yes, yes, I understand, I understand. And they give you sort of helpful ways to think about stuff, right? I'm really sorry if you are a psychologist, psychiatrist. I've just truncated your whole professional degree, career into just two lines. Um, but that's how sort of lay people like us hear it, you know, a counsellor. Is that what Jesus is? Is that what the Holy Spirit is? Someone who just come here and listen to your problems? Well, it's true. 2 Peter tells us to cast our cares on the Lord and he will care for us. But that's not what's being said here. What's being said here is more akin to the other meaning of the word counsellor, which is lawyer. 
which is the word advocate, the Holy Spirit will be a lawyer. Now, some of you are thinking, what? God is a lawyer? And immediately in your mind, a hundred lawyer jokes pop into your brain. Now, if you're a lawyer, here's it. Here's your comeback to every single one of those jokes. Holy Spirit is a lawyer. He's an advocate. Anyone makes a joke about you? You just whip out good old John 14, 26. Bam, there you go. So if you're a lawyer, you're welcome. God is a lawyer. Jesus is a lawyer. And he will come here to teach us what to do and to protect us in the court, uh, the, law, the court of law. But the Holy Spirit will do it for the whole of our lives. And how will he do it? Well, in two main ways. The first thing he'll do is teach us the things that Jesus has already taught us. Right? So can you see that line? It says, I will teach you all these things, and the Holy Spirit will come and teach you all things. They're the same things. And afterwards, he'll remind you of those things. Now, how does this work? Well, if we sort of go backwards a couple of chapters in John 12, verse 16 says this, At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. When Jesus was present in John chapter 12, he taught them stuff, but they didn't understand it. And it wasn't until Jesus died, rose, was glorified, and the Holy Spirit came then the Holy Spirit taught the disciples what it actually meant. And so they understood. And the Holy Spirit also reminds believers of what Jesus taught and convicts people, believers, of what Jesus has said. Now, some of us come from church traditions where the Holy Spirit does something slightly different. He, uh, he gives us visions or dreams. And, and, if that's, and the first thing we have to understand is the Holy Spirit can do those things. It happens in the Bible. So these things can be real. But having said that, if you're somebody who's sort of sitting there thinking, oh, I haven't had any visions or dreams from God. Is something wrong with me? Does God not love me? Well, no. See, the Holy Spirit can give these visions and dreams to some Christians some of the time. But it's never promised that he'll give this to all Christians all of the time. Whereas the Bible is promised to be for all Christians all the time. So if you're sitting there thinking, I've never had a vision or a dream, you're not missing out. The Holy Spirit still is in you. He still loves you. He's just giving you different gifts to those other people. But if you are somebody who has had visions or dreams, then it'll be in accordance with the Bible. We want to compare it to what is said in the, in the Word of God. So if your vision dream says, go rob a bank, then you're sort of saying, hey, thou shalt not steal, that dream or that vision is probably not from God. In fact, it's definitely not from God. But if it says something like, you know, go love people, you know, go and take this job somewhere, then we have to use our wisdom and check it against the Word of God. The Word of God is always going to be the baseline because the Holy Spirit isn't going to tell us something which is contrary to what Jesus said. He's always going to remind us of what Jesus said and teach us the things that Jesus taught us. Well, the passage moves on. And the passage wraps up by saying this, Jesus is going to actually obey the Father because the Father is greater than he is. And when we read this line, we think, wait a minute, how can the Father be greater than the Son? Aren't they both equally God? And yes, God is fully, the Father is fully God, the Son is fully God, and the Holy Spirit is fully God. They're not, neither, one, neither of them are better than the other. But having said that, they do have different roles. The Father sends the Son into the world, the Father and the Son send the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't send the Father. 
Jesus doesn't command the Father. They're all equally God, but Jesus submits to the Father and obeys his commands. And the Spirit submits himself to the Father and the Son. Now God has told us that we need to submit ourselves to people as well, authorities in the land, leaders of various kinds. And it's not because we're any less than they are. It's just that we have different roles. Just like the Son has a different role to the Father. And also notice here, if a Son who is fully God does exactly what the Father says, how much more we who are God's creation should we obey the commands of Jesus himself? Well, we've seen quite a few things tonight, haven't we? First of all, we've seen the disciples were, were shaken, were scared. They're going to be left alone by Jesus. And he says, no, I will still be with you, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit instead of me. We've seen that God will be in the house of those who love Jesus and obey Jesus. Those two things must be operating. And lastly, when the Holy Spirit enters us, one of his roles is going to be to teach us what Jesus has taught us and to remind us and convict us of those truths. And as we have God in us, we're not alone, we're not weak. We are powerful and we have everything we need to go and do Jesus' works after him and even greater works than he did because he will give us anything, including the best thing of all, God himself. Amen.